Welcome to the Palma Podcast. This episode is politics. It is part of everything we do, but for the purposes of today's Palma Podcast, I'm referring to politics for the purposes of governance and governments, elections, and uh, public discourse. Not necessarily uh, office politics or home politics, although uh, there's uh, a lot of that and your own family and life experience it. What I want to talk about is the lack of um, clear voices in the political spectrum right now because there has been a pattern of gaining advantage by um, screaming louder and going towards absurdity. And the fact that there was a political payoff for that it changed the behavior of politicians. So more were willing to go and do that kind of stuff. And at this point, if you look around the world, we've pretty much jumped the shark at this point. Um, I, from a historical perspective, you know, this is, this is an era of like the mad kings and queens and, you know, they had lost all frame of reference from, um, what the people that they governed uh, were experiencing. And I mean, this isn't everywhere, but largely the political class has become so distanced from what regular people experience that it's becoming really, really challenging to have viable public uh, political discourse. The other challenge is that the many political actors find it necessary to constrain all political dynamics within a few small political worlds. And so that's part of what I really wanted to focus on today with the Poma podcast on politics, is the nature of it and how politics works, not necessarily the political uh, activity that's kind of going on today. Um, it, for a lot of uh, people, there's no need to pay attention to this stuff. It just makes people go and want to jump off of bridges because listening to politicians and paying attention to politics is not something most people like doing, and the people who like doing it tend to be oversaturated. So the political world has much too much influence. And I'm, I'm kind of one of those people in that I pay a lot of attention to um, both politics nationally, locally, and internationally because it defines how our world works and I like to know how our world works. And when we see the political activity of day, we often think of like, well, well, what must be going on today to generate that kind of thing? And it's actually generated a little bit before, and it's a trailing whisper. You know, politics tends to be reactive rather than proactive. So, and certainly governance being, governance being risk adverse, um, don't really like entering the political sphere. It's about moliation. So, in a democratic environment where, in theory, the body politic comes uh, 
out of the citizenry and they in then transfer representative rights onto some form of an elected official who then governs on their behalf and manages uh, their their nation a lot of the world has some form of democratic form but how the form of that government operates doesn't necessarily find its home in the same way that you get uh, in the traditional meaning of democracy. So politics, in the idea of it, people think politically in terms of democracy, you know, one person, one vote, everybody has an, an equal view, all, all, all views are, are the same. But reality doesn't function that way. There's a number of disenfranchised people who will not get to have uh, political expression. There are people who are undermined, who don't feel the, the need to engage in the process. And obviously, you've got a whole bunch of people who are just kind of doing a sense of obligation to it, but not really engaging or, or having a, a particular deep assessment of why and what they're uh, assigning as part of their political will. And being from North America, it's a little bit challenging because the politics here have been skewed um, significantly with real pendulum swinging behaviors. Um, being in, in Canada, we observe a lot about what goes on with the American political system. Um, our own political system is a constitutional monarchy with a parliamentary system, so it's not necessarily uh, a democracy. We have democratic ideals, uh, peace, order, good government, that's our motto. You know, it's not really uh, ecstatic or, you know, doesn't drive energy. It's certainly not um, speaking to some grand ambition, but it does speak to a simple quality of wanting the government to be good and it has provided us a slightly higher level of resistance to some populism than other countries but it, it probably won't hold for very long because that that long-term entrenchment towards good government uh, began to evaporate a bit as uh, people lost faith in their elected officials uh, part of it is the news cycle and the internet providing information to people. Our leadership was, you know, only average to slightly below average, slightly above average, totally incompetent, maybe fantastic. But today you see all of the negative things about people and those tend to hold on. The structure of uh, political campaigning has put a lot of power into negative um, advertising and negative ways of conveying uh, information about opponents and even a negative outlook on the political system and um, the economic systems and hoping through uh, this, the failures of other people that you may actually be able to succeed rather than putting forth a comprehensive strategy and then discussing about the merits of that kind of strategy which typically was um, the, the goal of prior governments was you, you'd have a fairly clear um, path that you'd want to be following. The complexity of government in the modern era and the complexity of international relations having so many things happen uh, 
like in real time and very fast uh, it prevents you from having that more thoughtful consideration I mean if it you think 300 years ago the span of time it would take for a message to get back and forth between uh, nations would make the process a lot more contemplative you'd want to have an incredibly well-formed treaty or declaration or statement or whatever going you don't have that banter capacity you don't have much you know doorway politics it's all an entrenched distant interest speaking usually to another entrenched entrenched distant interest and then trying to navigate for the purposes of, of governing either their own countries or, or the world at large in a broader coalition or alliance today because we've become uh, desensitized to um, a lot of the negativity that's out there we've seen a big shift towards um, dystopian political philosophies where you have a uh, a culture that wants to always talk about things in the terms of other um, so that frames politics instead of putting it as a okay regardless of who wins the objective is to be the governance for everyone and that's again how I, I somewhat go back to enjoying the model um, here as much as almost any other model. That's the advantage of, of being quote unquote born as a country uh, much later than most other countries is that we get to take advantage of the growth of democratic systems throughout the world prior to our um, establishment of uh, a direct representation here. You know, we, we our story's kind of weird, uh, just kind of being forgotten about, and then said, uh, you know, we're tired of managing you from afar. Uh, why don't you go be independent now? So, you know, that would, that more mutual decision to, to to be a part of it also kind of provides a, a passive approach to, to to politics that things can be uh, achieved through uh, a negotiated compromise, and that you can always usually find compromises between people. The challenge is we now have uncompromising people and ideologies as significantly strong political actors. And when you have that level of um, steadfastness to a specific political ideology, to a specific um, political goal, it makes things really, really, really hard to govern because you we don't actually govern in the extremes usually you have a you know philosophy that goes on to governance which attacks it one direction uh, but it should be issue based and that's the real challenge that has happened in the last uh, you know 30 20 30 years of political change is you saw as people became more aware of it, that the more connected to it, um, the population become almost the more dis more disenfranchised it feels from it. And I think one of the reasons that we see this, particularly in the uh, American example, uh, because their news seems to you know 
cover most of the world and, and how they're operating does impact and affect a lot of the planet. And so when you've got um, a, a nation that is becoming more polarized, you don't have um, a sense that, okay, even if the other person wins, things will probably be a little bit fine. Maybe not exactly how I want, but, you know, no one's really going to set the country on fire. That's not necessarily the case anymore. Um, you know, there's a lot of populist movements that have political philosophies that are incredibly attractive on an emotional level, but on a concrete level, will probably have you know, 50, 60 years of negative consequence upon those nations as they, you know, begin to change the nature of how uh, their government forms. And it's because politics has largely shifted towards the politics of the, the worst, right? So in lieu of looking at the majority of people who do not want to cause problems for other people and would be more than happy to you know, go along and get along. We design our systems based upon the most manipulative and the most evil people taking advantage. And that probably isn't the best way to design a political system. And right now, we're seeing a narrowing of political thought to this weird left-right spectrum where both left and right are incredibly distorted because these left and right political philosophies are not necessarily tied to the agendas that are being um, conveyed because where right and left come from is largely just the role of the government where left is more state driven and right is more citizen driven right that that's really the only function of that whole right-left debate, but we've put so many other issues into that. Well, the economics has to be, oh, well, it's free market versus, you know, some kind of socialism. Well, you know what? You could have a individual-centered government want to focus on socialized results and policies because that's what works out better for the individual. It works out better for the individual if you don't have to worry about all of your assets depleting just because you got a little sick. The strategic advantage that has been provided to companies, to families, and to nations where the Western and uh, advanced worlds have brought in a socialized uh, healthcare system, it, the evidence speaks for itself. It's not it's not crazy socialism. You can still have private actors, and that's because we've narrowed the view. But you can't get into the nuance of politics anymore if it's just, oh, well, that's right wing. Oh, oh that's left wing. Okay, well, since you're, since I've now assigned uh, one of my, my, my left hand or my right hand to you, then that means I don't have to listen to you, or I really have to listen to you. It's like, well, hold on. I know that my political views compromise or comprise a whole bunch of different ideas from a variety of different political spectrums because largely I'm utilitarian. I just want shit to work and for things to, you know, happen. And you re really just need caretaker governments and not 
partisan governments. And that's, that's the real problem, is that we, we were kind of lucky in that we almost had a century of caretakers that, that took uh, a reasonable and rational approach to the role of governance. And despite slight tweaks, it was only, you know, a fairly slight modification towards the political agenda. The problem we're seeing now is the political agenda, where it comes to governance, is being conflated by social progress issues or social regression issues, depending on how you want to um, see things go. But because the social progress component and the socialization of our societies, and so what we really need to think about is that that is the um, the, the philosophies of social science and uh, social structure, but not politics. Right? So we've we put our we've embedded these social structures into our political sphere, which causes people to now f like they have to line up with twenty seven issues because they lined up with one issue in the same place. And you know, I think no matter what type of government you have a two-party system is bad. We have a parliamentary system here in Canada, but ultimately we've pretty much had a two-party system because the Canadian people seem to love majority governments. We're just like, yeah, sure, you can be our totalitarian in chief, go ahead, have complete legislative power to do whatever you want, opposition will uh, scold you from time to time, or will make a, uh, make a public address or try to make something public in order to uh, move public opinion. But if you have a legislative majority in our parliamentary system, that is it. You, have, you run the table. Everybody else can just sit down for a couple of years, you know, where you have. Now, that's not necessarily the design of our system. Our design is to have a, a very open um, multi-party democracy. And we do have parties that are beginning to more stabilize their their vote share and, and rise you know and so we kind of have you know and depending on how you want to look at the regionalization of the the, the block but you know like five or six major parties depending on how you want to um, how you want to include them in the spectrum you know so th that are starting i mean we have lots more parties than that and um, they just really aren't taking up the vote share uh, the danger, I think, where we've observed that is because we were later to the game. We've seen the, the challenges that can come with uh, minority government. I mean, we ha we've had minority government, and sometimes we've had minority rule that's lasted for a while or shift into majority rule or loss of government. But uh, there's, there's a, a, there has historically been a feeling that regardless of the parties, most of the politicians in our system here had, for better or for worse, been deemed acceptable. You know, like, either side, even if you're a partisan loyalist to your party, if the other side wins, you still consult with them, you still work with them. They, they're, they're the ones who are going to be governing. Why would you want to just pack up all your toys and like run away? Why wouldn't you want to go, okay, you won, but how about I convince you my ideas are better now and you implement them? You know, that's the problem around these very entrenched partisanism overtaking the political sphere 
is we got two I don't know, we got too emotionally invested in those kinds of outcomes with our um, with what would better be driven through our own internal conducts and how we function in our societies and in our communities. You'd actually probably be a lot better off to talk with your neighbors and people in your community and build a comprehensive um, social agreement amongst them about what you think you would want to have go forward. But we don't really do that kind of thing. We we enjoy our proxy-based system where we, you know, say, ah, you know what, here's some thought leaders or here's some political leaders. We'll allow them to voice our ideas for us. And when I've been having worked inside of government where you're you know the recipient of lobbying or you're lobbying to make um, policy change or, or shift or, or to be created in the first place it's a very different world like uh, the making of the thing is not necessarily um, the the political issue right that the legislation and the legislative responsibilities now that people have become uh, focused mostly on these partisan and emotional ideas, the, the caliber of people who are in the political system that are capable of or willing to read and understand the legislation that they're deciding, that's what disturbs me in the modern era, is that there does not appear to be the sense and requirement to hold the responsibility of legislative authority responsibly. Uh, the number of times we've been reading stories where, you know, councils or legislatures have voted on things when they had only received, or the legislation had only been scored hours before, you know, that, that's, it's a very common practice. Um, to even do that is to, to limit debate by not having people have access to the legislative language. And we saw a trend happen here. And one of the reasons that I actually left government is that the restrictions on public servants, uh, particularly as a provincial one for Ontario, is that you are really not allowed to say the kinds of things that I'm saying uh, and not talk about the political system in these kinds of ways because you're part of it and there's a, a, a very strong neutrality drive within the the act that governs public servants. The problem though is the people that administer the act and the people who are making the decisions had have been making very partisan decisions and then applying them onto the public service where they don't have the ability to defend themselves. Like the number of times that I would like to shout from the rooftops regarding a number of decisions that uh, were going on in government, but was not allowed to because I'd be like fired and or arrested depending on um, the level of the information that was shared and to what parties and to what end. But you want to be able to ensure that the Senate, like I've always viewed that the public service's role is actually to be in the public service and a safeguard against the political class because our objective is to provide 
neutral and nonpartisan advice and expertise to the objective of governing. That is not what's going on anymore. The, you know, I mean, the Ontario government has historically been incredibly overwhelmed by partisan interests because the way it's designed, uh, the party in power gets to appoint so many people that get to uh, stick around for a really, really long time that if you hold government for a little while, you can significantly change the game. But when you have um, an increase in creating fear and admonishment and a restrictive behavior. And that's one of the other reasons that I got out. I knew I had to leave on my own terms because I was going to get fired the way we could. I mean, if it, you know, Premier of Ontario 2019, and you, you know, you could probably guess um, what it's like to actually work inside that kind of an environment. And, you know, it's very challenging when you have partisan interests dictating um, behavior onto the public service when it's very clear that the partisan interest in control of the government completely disrespects the nature of a neutral expertise and partisans do not want facts to get in the way of their emotional arguments regardless of what side of the spectrum people are on or whatever political philosophies they're holding on to partisanism is emotional it's not rational so there is going to be a significant failure if you are not protecting the ability for a neutral and when i say neutral when what i really mean is a caretaker utilitarian and in keeping with the spirit and intents of the existing law and the intents of government because we aren't supposed to have our jurisdictional entities, be they cities, provinces, uh, states, international orders, NGOs. It, it shouldn't be a complete, you know, two-faced or entirely unpredictable way of operating. It has to be something that people can rely on. The identity of the body politic versus the identity of partisan interests. And so you, you really, instead of having partisans beginning to, on particular issues, advocate to the ruling class, and the ruling class strives towards a specific level of neutrality, but with a political philosophy attached, it might actually work a little bit better because then you'd have expertise and emotional connection around issues to then go to legislators and say, hey, you know what, blah, 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 this is really important to me and this is why. And then you've got another person saying, hey, if you were to do X, Y, or Z thing, this is what the real consequences would be. And so to take another political quagmire, I, I would look at the UK and their whole Brexit environment and trying to escape from the uh, European Union. And when you have a incredibly old political system like theirs, you do actually have a long pattern 
of procedure and structure and guidance and a sense of what it like as an external observer i find it completely absurd that this is even happening to the united kingdom because the strategy that is being undertaken is really just gonna flare up really challenging problem that it is so surprising that politicians who have regularly consistently and almost as a you know part of the job ignored people altogether on almost all things because there is a long-established um, function there and you know they they could go back i mean even the extremes like thatcher is an extremist in the british political system and she's obviously not an extremist it's just that that tack in that direction was seen as extreme at that kind of time but really you know that's not an extremist government it wasn't a great government for certain classes of people but it certainly wasn't extreme uh, as we think of it in terms of the totalitarianism and um and changes to social order or theocracies that have very specific dogmatic uh, beliefs that they want to legislate or to enforce uh, upon the population. You know, when you have a big system, you're going to have uh, a big, big chance to make things better. And so you have that history. So I don't understand why people don't just look at it and go, okay, all you guys need a timeout. There's no obligation to destroy our country because misinformed people want something. I mean, if you're going to be making your political decisions on the basis of the misinformed and their desires, then that's really, really dumb because you're, instead of having social services, you'll have, I don't know, not. It, we don't have, individuals tend not to have the wherewithal to understand the complexities of what is required in order to maintain even an open and libertarian society. Many people think of an open and free society, but it's just because most of it's invisible. You don't have to interact with it. You don't see how it happens, but it is very complex and governance goes behind almost everything we do. So in the hopes that politics will get a little bit better and because many of these um, podcasts are going to focus or be affected by what's going on in the political world. I felt it was important to to state out that um, that there would be a that there would be a poem on politics, and I'm not really landing on anything. I'm just contextualizing politics because that's the piece of it that's missing is we're no longer contextualizing it. We don't have politics. We have partisanism in the public sphere, and it's important to make and understand that distinction to move forward because people are ascribing partisanism as political philosophy and people need to kick the partisans out of their political camps say yeah absolutely you can have that single issue go to town let us know what you'd want to do with it produce a paper on its structural design or give us uh, some kind of framework that would be able to be functional but just to like scream and have tantrums, which seems to be the political discourse these days, that's not effective given the scale of the issues that we have to deal with. And I mean, 
we have so many great opportunities. And I hope that when we see this shift back from, um, from a very dystopian, not having a concern or an intentional self-destruction, right? The, we have, in many, many cases, we have the bodiment boat face uh, of governments in a number of countries. And people should take pause at that and maybe go, okay, maybe it's funny, or maybe it's a form of protest, or maybe it's a nothing could possibly be worse than the stuff that we've been dealing with, but I absolutely assure you it can't. Because if we talk in terms of looking at neutral folks as the problem or as some kind of deep state um, conspiracy, it is really problematic because most often they don't have the ability to defend themselves. They don't have the ability to contextualize the counter argument. And the people who would come to the defense of a boring bureaucracy is you know, the odd academic or you know, somebody like me uh, who has interest in governance and protocols and legislation. But the average person, uh, you know, they tend to view that almost all of the political acts and all of the bureaucracy could just disappear and the world would keep on going. And as much as a lot of people think that's true, uh, there's a, a significant reduction that could be made in areas of monitoring for monitoring's sake and the layering with inside government structures that don't serve as um, an effective protocol as if it's meant to be a check you want to have redundancies but if it's just repetition or layering then obviously you can find some improvement but that's not the nuanced conversation people are having around specific efficiencies. It's like, no, let's wipe out an entire department because we're no longer attached to the idea of that kind of thing. And it's like, okay, well, whatever, that's fine. Even if you might believe in supplied side economics or you might believe in, you know, state-driven um, Marxism or some kind of craziness, then it doesn't really benefit you to actually implement your idea. You exist on an absurd extreme. You have to. You can't just let market forces solve everything. Market forces don't give a crap about humans. And you know what? As a human being, fuck market forces. You know, it's the end product. What's, what is the reality and the experience of people going to be like? That is the goal of politics. The goal of politics is governance, not partisanism. So we have to get back to the idea that people are going to enter politics for the idea of being responsible for governance. And that's the demand that I would make upon my politicians, is say, I don't want to hear you try to appease me. I want to hear how you're going to be accountable. I want to hear about what your legislative priorities are. And I want to know, in specific, how you intend to address problem A, B, and C. And, uh, and we're running over because politics is probably something I could talk to for hours and hours and hours and hours. But I felt it's important for us to frame the politics to take um, a view that politics and partisanism are two very different things. And issue-based partisanism or emotional-based partisanism 
is a factor in politics. Politics not has never been able to ignore that kind of thing, but it shouldn't be overwhelmed or replaced by. And that's part of the reason I wanted to do a Palma podcast on politics. So I hope you um, enjoyed this, or at least didn't pull out all of your hair. Uh, this is the Palma podcast for politics. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to support us, you can visit the GoFundMe, uh, Better Policies for a Better World, and that would be very appreciated. Um, it's uh, very hard to convince politicians to do sensible things, so it will probably take us more than just issuing a podcast, um, and we'll be using some of these political tools to try to move people and resources help that. So again, that's uh, thegofundme.com and you can find it uh, better policies for a better world. Thank you. And this was the Palma Podcast.